0: Hello, Digital Learning Radio listeners. Misty Trevino here, part of the Digital Learning team at Region 10 Education Service Center. We recently ended Season 5 titled Rose-Colored Glasses. Check out, revisit, or catch up on all seven Season 5 episodes centered around the theme of cultivating a culture of coaching. Although our latest season has come to a close, we wanted to keep our momentum going. We will be re-releasing our favorite Digital Learning Radio episodes, I am so excited today to share the insightful 2018 interview with Global Keynote Specialist and Educational Technology Strategist for the EdTech team, Ken Shelton. Ken holds an MA in education with a specialization in educational technology and new media design and production. He worked as an educator for over 14 years and taught technology at the middle school level. As part of his involvement within the EdTech community, Ken is an Apple Distinguished Educator and a Google Certified Innovator. Ken was also named to the California State Superintendent of Public Instructions Education Technology Task Force. Ken is currently the Global Keynote Specialist and Educational Technology Strategist for the EdTech team, and that's where we were first able to connect with Ken and experience his work. Ken regularly gives keynotes, presentations, and leads workshops, many of which are hands-on, covering a wide variety of topics, including transformational teaching and learning with technology, instructional design, and tech equity topics. Today's episode is all about the ISTE Educator Standard of Design, and we know Ken will be able to share so much great information with us. Welcome to our podcast, Ken.
1: Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here.
0: Well, we are so glad that you're willing to give up some of your time today. So, and we know that you just got back from Ecuador. So, um, hope you're adjusting to being back at home.
1: Yeah, the adjustment's easier going back down the sea level versus the other way around. That's for sure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, I wanted to start us off because at the EdTech team event recently, I was able to attend a couple of your sessions about visual storytelling and visual literacy, which were all about design. And they were either with Google Photos or Drawings. And in the sessions, you really created this experience that fostered independent learning we all went out and took pictures and we created our own drawings and then that really also accommodated for our preferences and ability levels and one way you did this was by introducing us to the idea of creative constraints and we've mentioned that idea several times on recent podcast episodes so would you please share a bit first what are creative constraints and then second how can constraints help us with design
1: So I'm glad you asked that question, because, you know, in many cases, conversations I have, whether it's in my sessions, workshops or, uh, you know, in the case, even like for us now on a podcast is you hear a lot of talk about creativity. And, you know, the misperception a lot of times is that creativity is the equivalent of giving everyone a blank slate and saying, okay go be creative. And my contention is that in order to be creative, you have to work within constraints, um, but you allow, uh, and you show some degree of restraint, but you allow for uh, multiple outcomes. So for example, um, it was actually a project I used to do with my students when I was in the classroom, is I would give them a series of images Uh, to work with. All the students would get the exact same images. And I would basically say that you need to create a visual story from these images. Now, the constraints were they could only use the images I provided. The restraint is they could only use the images I provided. But the ideal scenario is in a classroom of, uh, let's say, 40, 45 students, I'm going to get 40 to 45 different stories. That, to me, is, is the idea around the constraints for creativity is you cannot You cannot just say here's a blank slate. Now be creative. You have to provide a framework to work within. But in the case, like, for example, as I just shared with the students, the method for assessment on that was not based on a prescribed formula for success in a rubric. It was more along the lines of you have to create a compelling visual story. And the story has to include all the key elements that we were looking for. uh, In the context of that story, which was you have to have a product or a service, you have to uh, have a, a problem that is presented. And you also have to have a solution based upon that. So that, those were the, that was a framework that the students worked within, and um, I remember doing that many, many, many times with students to where it was just, you know, for me as a teacher, it was fantastic because I'm not grading or assessing the exact same thing times 45. I'm getting 45 different, you know, interpretations of what the students were doing based on the constraints that I put them in.
0: Well, and that's what I experienced. I hadn't even thought about that idea. But in the session that you led for us, we were taking photographs that the theme was lines and texture and symmetry and a few other constraints. And then when you pointed out, even though we're all looking at those same three or four objectives, every one of our photographs was different. And so that's where the power of creativity comes in and with those constraints. So that was so eye-opening for me. And I think that um, a lot of teachers and others um, who listen to the podcast will enjoy hearing some of those examples and like what you shared with your classroom too. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and that was, I mean, I have plenty of examples that, I mean, I did between visual storytelling, uh, film and video production, even writing. I mean, my fav- one of my favorite assignments to do Uh, with the students because, you know, you all probably get a little kick out of this. A lot of the projects that I assigned when I was in the classroom, I did those projects with the students because I was, I I basically told the students, I'm like, this is fun. I want to do this too. So (laughs) I, I would do it with them, which, you know, in all honesty, what it was good for me was it helped me look at the design of the learning experience from a student perspective because I was doing it as well. And it helped me it did several things. One, it helped me identify potential challenges that students would have so that I, because I'm going through that experience, I could help them overcome some of their challenges because ideally I have recognized them or maybe I've experienced them myself. But, you know, one of my favorite, favorite things to do was when we would do film and video projects is I would give them a template storyboard and the first scene would be filled in and the last scene would be filled in. And then I would tell them, you have the next uh, uh, which Macaulay, I'm sorry, shot the first shot and the last shot be filled. And I would say, you have the next eight shots to design the story, but you know how it begins, you know how it ends. And the only thing I'm looking for is the overcoming of an obstacle.
2: That is and it was so cool. cool
1: to watch that. It's, it's so amazing to watch that in kids where, you know, the creative process that, you know, you don't necessarily know what they're thinking at the time until the finished product is, is, uh, is published, but to just watch the students like, I, I, I can't really capture the words, but it's amazing to watch the creative process unfold where the students were working with the storyboards and thinking about the stories and thinking about how they were going to film them and how they're going to put them together. And for me, the teacher knowing I know how it begins and how it ends. And I can't wait to see what you do in the middle, as long as the middle includes some sort of the overcoming of an obstacle.
0: Well, what a fantastic way yeah. to assess that process and assess the learning and to personalize the learning and have everyone, whatever your ability level is, you could figure something out to mm-hmm. to share that story. So love that example. Thanks for sharing that, Ken. Yeah.
1: No problem. Um, I kind of wish I was still in the classroom to some degree, but I would be doing that now.
2: Yeah. Ken, it's Ashley. Ashley. Um, I want to kind of again build on the um, the ISTE designer standard, and we see that it includes inc- accommodating learner differences and needs. And generally, you know, educators think of that makes them think of differentiation, students with special needs, or English language learners. But what is often overlooked is the cultural background of our students. So I'd love for you to talk to us about designing learning experiences with a equity focus.
1: Yes. So, for your listeners, they may not uh, be familiar with that term, and uh, it's a term that I actually I use quite often now. And I learned it from—I uh, mean, I kind of was familiar with it, but I learned it in, in, in a lot more detail from uh, two guys named um, Nick Steinmetz and Kevin Re- Rebell, uh who work in Aurora uh, Public Schools there in Colorado, and. Um, it, it, it basically, a techity focus is looking at merging the use of technology to design and provide students with culturally responsive learning opportunities that, um, that are both engaging and, and provide um, equitable access to the learning experience uh, for the students. And so, you know, in the context of that, with the cultural aspect. You know it's looking at students backgrounds as assets and not liabilities and it's taking what students bring into the learning experience from their own experiences and allowing that to be um, i would say two parts one celebrated and two encouraged so even going back to the example i shared with you um you know with you all a few minutes ago many of the stories that students would do i would encourage them to utilize Elements of their own personal experience in the context of what we're doing. So ideally, you know, uh, a class of 40 or 45 You know when they're designing their visual stories or their video video stories Maybe the obstacles that they include in the story are is an obstacle that they themselves have had to overcome so in other words instead of me saying well everyone has the same obstacle and this has to be in your story it's no what What is unique to you as an individual, your individual experience and your individual contributions to the overall learning of the class that you can include in the context of the stories that we are doing? Uh, And what I found uh, that happened more often than not is it was much easier for students to develop a deeper understanding of the structure of storytelling and the way in which they tell their stories because they were able to tap into their own personal experience rather than me, the teacher, telling them what needed to be included.
2: Right. And so, like, how did you kind of bring that out in your students? How did you get to know them and get to know their cultural background? And what advice could you give to a teacher who probably hasn't tried that before?
1: Uh, that's a good one. And believe it or not, you already actually touched on one element of what I would identify as being a culturally responsive teacher, and that is knowing your students' lives. And mm-hmm. so for me, it was it was critical at the beginning of every school year for me to get to know as many of my students as quickly as possible. Now, I taught in the LA Unified School District at my last school. My average class size was right around 45, and I had six classes. So it took a lot longer for me to get to know all of my students. Um, And, of course, at the beginning of the school year, there's always a lot of, of transferring of classes and new students coming in and some students leaving. But, you know, ultimately for me, the most important thing was... I want to get to know you as quickly as possible so that I, I, as the teacher in the room, can help identify where your areas of strength are and then where your areas of growth are uh, so that I meet your needs where they are rather than me looking at the classroom as a, you know, like a, a, the term I use is the classroom shouldn't be a bell curve. The classroom is each individual student has needs that are going to be unique. Has strengths that are going to be unique and what we're going to do is we're going to tap into your strengths in the context of the work that we do and then me the teacher and ideally your classmates are going to help you uh and provide you with the right support in areas of need and so uh i did a lot of different exercises with the students at the beginning of the year a lot of the design projects we did were uh were focused more on getting to know the students as individuals what are your likes what are your dislikes what are your goals what are your passions um you know i remember i'd have them design a Uh, a thing in Photoshop where I would teach them with the cameras on how to photograph silhouettes, and then they would put those in Photoshop and then they would design uh, a, a representation of themselves. So, in other words, a silhouette would be like their whole body. Mm-hmm. And so, in the area of the brain, they would fill in descriptive words of, you know, what are, what is your mindset? What are the things that you think about? What are the things that you're passionate about? And then near the eyes, like, what how do you? What is your vision on life? What is your vision on you as an educator? Um, near their ears, would be, you know, when you think about listening, what are the things that you find yourself listening to more? How what kind of a listener are you? Do you like, uh, you know, do you like short? uh, uh, stories. Do you like long stories? Do you listen to books? You know, when you listen to your friends, how do you communicate and just work your way down? So like, for example, their heart, you know, what are the things that you love? What is important to you in regards to that makes up your, your core beliefs and things like that. And so I would have them do that. And what that project would do is it would help get them familiarized with, uh, Photoshop. It would help get them to know their classmates because they had to, they had to do that project with a classmate. Mm -hmm. Uh, It would be published to where it's consumable by both myself and all of their classmates because they put it in digital portfolios. And in some cases, I would, um, while I try to be paperless, I would print them out and put them up in the classroom. Uh, And so and then, of course, in that context, it's a student, you know, that's even going into their cultural background because you're encouraging a student to reveal something personal about them that if you don't, if you didn't do that kind of a project, you probably wouldn't know.
2: Absolutely. And I think any educator can take those, you know, that example and kind of take those questions or pieces that you had as part of that project and even put it in just, you know, a questionnaire at the beginning of the year to get to know their students and and plan for that cultural awareness. So that's exactly
1: I, I, I will add one thing, though, to that, that I would you know, if a teacher says, you know, at the beginning of the year, I'd like to do something like that, whether it's a questionnaire, I would certainly encourage every teacher to do. If you're going to do a questionnaire, don't limit the responses to be viewable only by you. Mm. And in fact, you know what? I learned something else um, at a conference I spoke at in Colorado. They had a StoryCorps booth there. And I absolutely, I'm a big fan of StoryCorps. Oh, for me so too. Long. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, you know, they have an app. They have an I, I know they have an iOS app. I'm not sure if they have an Android app. But I even said to uh, the folks that were there at that conference, I'm like, i would love to encourage teachers to do a story course style interview at the beginning of every school year but here's a catch you have students interview their classmates and ideally they interview a classmate that they just met for the first time
2: oh, that's a great idea
1: so now good. you're building a culture of inclusion a culture of learning you start learning more about your students as the teacher who hears the interviews and then the students start uh, learning more about their classmates and that's why i said the key is it needs to be a classmate that you don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, of course, the the liter- literacy component to that is, you know, if you're going to, if you've got five minutes to, t- to interview someone that you've never met before, what kind of questions would you ask them? So now you're teaching the students about, you know, uh, effective questioning, um, you know, getting to know somebody that you don't know before. And then, of course, later on in the semester or later on in the year, I would have them interview classmates that they do know to, to ask them questions about that classmate that may be something that they They wouldn't know until after they've conducted that interview. But I I love StoryCorps big time. I think it would be so cool to be able to do that.
2: That is awesome. And what's cool about that StoryCorps app is that they have sample interview questions. So you're not just starting from scratch. You kind of have some guidance in that process.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And then, of course, for me, the key with that also would be, you know, once you get the interviews, put them on a website, publish them, and now make them consumable by every student in every class and ideally even the parents you know, yeah. can listen to the interviews of their child interviewing one of their classmates.
2: That's a way way to build community. Bingo. Well, and
1: very- That right there, honestly, that right there also fits into the whole thing in regards to having a culturally responsive learning environment because, you know, you, you start to identify um, you know, elements of your classmates that you wouldn't have known if you didn't conduct that interview.
3: Right. Exactly.
1: And now when you're working together on a project, you know, I used to always tell my students that I'm like, you know, and I, and keep in mind in my class, I had all of the above. I had ELL students. I had students that uh, uh, had IEPs. I had students that were, you know, labeled as gifted, which is a whole different conversation for us to have on (laughs) on the way the students were stratified. But but I used to always tell students, don't assume that because you have a particular label that you don't have a strength that isn't going to be welcomed in this class. Everyone has a strength that we're going to utilize. And in some cases, you know, I would tell the students, you may work with a classmate that, you know, at face value may say, well, this person may not have anything to offer. And it's like, the next, you know, you're doing a project and they have a skill in an area that you don't have that when you put it together, think about the quality of the project that's going to happen at that, you know, when you, when you combine the two strengths.
2: Absolutely. And I think that students would find out they're way more alike than they are different.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Which is why I can't stand student stratification systems anyway.
3: Yeah. Awesome. So, Ken, this is Al here, and I am just really curious. I know you've worked quite a bit with teachers um, across the globe, and so one of the questions that we often run into is we're brought in to work with districts, and we deal with teachers that are very knowledgeable and teachers that are really um, struggling with getting started with integrating technology into the things that they're doing. They may be an excellent teacher, but the the technology or the tech side can be a very um, intimidating or it can be something that they are just really not comfortable making that leap into. So how would you go about encouraging or being able to help move those teachers forward to be able to better integrate technology into the things that they're doing, keeping in mind the diverse needs of the learners that are there?
1: Right. You know, it's interesting with that question because I remember uh, many, many years ago I would uh, encourage teachers that are they basically fit the exact profile you just shared that you know I said that the thing is is imagine you're going to a a, a restaurant that, that is a buffet that's you my favorite kind consume of food a whole lot of everything you might pick and choose you're going to pick and choose what you're familiar with what you're comfortable with and then you may pick smaller amounts of something you're going to taste and so when it, that, I use that as an analogy in this capacity because For teachers that are a bit reticent in regards to the implementation and effective use of technology, I always always encourage them, look at one area of your pedagogy that you're comfortable with, and then now determine what would be one method that you could use technology to augment that. So I'll give you an example. When I talk to teachers that do things like class discussions, The very first thing I say is, well, are you, first of all, are you hearing from every student during those class discussions? Because if you're not, that's not an equitable learning environment. And of course, usually it's like, well, only certain students raise their hands. And I say, well, does that mean that every student doesn't have something of value to offer? And of course, the answer is always, well, no, that just some are a bit more assertive in raising their hands than others. And so then I say, okay. so then here's what I would recommend doing. Here's a very simple and seamless way to integrate technology effectively within a context of doing something even like that. You have applications like Today's Meet. It takes less than 30 seconds to set up, really less than 20 seconds to set up a discussion. And I said, and what I would do is I would have both a, a vocal and a written discussion around that and encourage every student to share their thoughts in the Today's Meet. You now have given a voice to every student in class, you've given them an opportunity to contribute, you're not silencing the students that prefer to speak, but you're also not silencing the students that may not want to raise their hand, but they have something of value to offer. And and in, of course, in the using of that platform, you can uh, you can get an archive of the uh, conversation that you can download as a PDF. But I think the main thing that teachers try to do or they look at doing when it comes to the involvement of technology is they they, they they try to bite off more than they can chew. And like I said, that's why I use the buffet analogy as an example, is you take little bits and pieces of what you, what you want to try as well as what you're familiar with. And then as you begin to... Uh, uh, Develop more experiential understanding. You uh, more nuance in the way that you um, inter- uh, work with your students uh, and things like that. You will begin to start using other mechanisms of technology that will help provide the right degree of equitable learning in your classroom. Nice. I mean, there's, there's so many things out there and I know it can be overwhelming because I know I've, I've talked to so many teachers about, they're like, well, there's too many apps. There's too many, of there's too many of that. And I'm like, let's go down to a granular level. What is the core basis of the pedagogy uh, in your classroom? Not the units, but, but what, if I'm a student in your class, what would I describe your learning environment as? And then we start from there and look at, okay, now how does technology play a role in uh, essentially transforming that?
3: That's awesome. So I know that especially with when we're dealing with a lot of um, teachers that sometimes the um, some teachers are really comfortable with jumping in and using um, the tools. Um, is there any additional things that you would share um, that would be beneficial uh, for those teachers that are really they've already felt comfortable using the tools, but really taking it a step further and having them go much deeper um, than just the tool?
1: That's a good question. Um, so I mean, I guess the first the first response I would share with you all on that is that the tool should be secondary to the pedagogy, um, because I've seen I've been been in the ed tech space for for quite a while now, and I've seen a lot of apps come and go, and I've seen, you know, there there there's a new app now that's that's the discontinued app a year from now, <laughs> and I think that if you approach it from a strong pedagogy pedagogical perspective. Then it really doesn't matter what tool you're using so you know i mean like i said i mean even even along the lines of student voice you know i I remember there were so many different back channel platforms uh that existed you know even 10 years ago that are gone now and to me the pedagogy around it is am i providing every student with access and and creating the conditions that their contributions are not only uh, uh welcomed but encouraged now what tool helps me accomplish that and for the teachers that have successfully uh, done that and want to get to the next level, I would say the next level would be in line with student, student voice and student publication. So once you've gotten the student voice, how are students able to uh, interact with their peers, not just in that particular class period, but their peers in the entire school, or at least in that, across that teachers, um, all of their classes. And if they're in elementary school, you know, if you have let's say room one how are students in room one able to interact with students in room two uh, uh, on a centralized project you know without necessarily having to physically go over into the next room and i think that's the next layer is encouraging participation and contributions within the context of your own class, and then now expanding that outside of that. I'll, I'll share with you all a really cool example. I, I had an opportunity to go to uh, Morocco a couple of years ago and do uh, a training, uh, two days of training at, at a school in Rabat. And I remember talking to the teachers there uh, in regards to developing, you know, it was something that I honestly, I feel very strongly about and as much as I can encourage it, I do. Is I said, I, I would love for students here to be able to connect with students in various classrooms in the US. And I said, and what I would do is I would have them uh, look at two things. One, what are our cultural similarities? Then two, what are our cultural differences? And the big one that I like to use as a cultural bridge is the use of language. And so I was able to successfully get a a teacher uh, at that school in Morocco to connect with a couple of teachers uh, here in the US. And what it turned into was the students were talking about like the foods that they eat, the clothing that they wear, which of course there were a lot of similarities. Uh, And then I encouraged them to look at the use of language and like, you know, how is Arabic different than English? What are some of the um, Arabic words that are the root words to some of our English words and things like that? That to me is the, the ultimate next step is you're connecting your students with students in other parts of the country or other parts of the world to where they can have a shared learning experience. Awesome, love that.
0: Yeah, so that is so powerful for, um, and it shows how technology can empower the learners. So thank you for sharing that. Okay, so Ken, one last thing. We always want to share the importance of risk-taking and growth mindset. And so we're asking our guests this season to share a favorite failure. So how has a failure or an apparent failure set you up for a later success? (laughs) That's that's the sound we usually hear when we ask that question. (laughs)
1: I have so many. <laughs>
3: we also hear that as
0: well, <laughs> and we do as well. <laughs>
1: okay, so I'll share. I'll share a couple with with you with you all. I'll share one with you on a personal level and one on a on a professional educator level. Great. Um, the biggest one of the biggest, I would say, failures I have is it was back after I. Uh, they graduated from UCLA and I had, uh, in fact, Al, I don't think I shared a story with you when I saw you last uh, last month, I had an opportunity. So so I'll, I'll give you all the framework. So I, I went to UCLA and I played football there. And, you know, like most of us had played, we had aspirations to play professional. And at that time, I also was working in I was doing uh, modeling and acting predominantly commercials. And I worked on a commercial, it was a Doritos commercial, uh, and this was right when the San Francisco 49ers were in the Super Bowl. And at this, at this commercial, I had an opportunity to, to chat extensively with uh, one of my uh, favorite football players of all time ever, and that was Jerry Rice. And I remember sharing with him that, you know, I had I graduated from UCLA and you know I didn't get as much playing time as I had hoped, and I still had aspirations to, you know, give it a legitimate shot to play professional football. And he invited me to come up north to work out with him and his teammates. Uh, And at the time, Jerry Rice was known for his epic workouts uh, in regards to preparations for the season, you know, mind and body, you know, all the things that it takes to basically be not just a football player, but be a, in the case of him, a a Hall of Fame football player. And I would say that as far as a failure goes, which is also a regret, is I never followed through with that and took him up on that. So I didn't go up north to work out with him. And you never know what would have happened uh, had I done that, is it a guarantee I would have, you know, signed with a team? No, but by me not going to guaranteed, I didn't sign with a team. Wow. So I think in regards to a failure, the failure was not being willing to take that risk to do that. Uh, and I'm not even certain that there was a significant amount of risk. It was just one of those things where at the time I'm like, ah, you know, that means I got to go up north. Where am I gonna live? Where am I gonna work? What am I gonna do? Instead of just figuring out a way to make it happen. And so I think that my my lesson behind that on a personal level is that you know whenever there are opportunities that may seem insurmountable or there are a lot of variables that I don't have control of, something that you feel passionate enough about and strongly enough about, it's still worth pursuing it because at least you can. You know you can look in the mirror and say okay i gave it my best shot at this and if it didn't work out then i at least gave it the shot versus well you know what if
2: mm-hmm.
1: um and then on a on a on a professional level in regards to education um i would say failure wise it's probably been <sighs> It's not really a failure, but it's been something that has weighed heavily on me for probably about, I'd say, five years where there have been a lot of topics and things that I have wanted to talk about in education, especially along the lines of, you know, cultural relevance, equity, diversity, things like that. And my failure, you know, many years ago was assuming that people didn't want to hear it. I I think the big lesson behind those stories is that any anyone listening to the podcast, it's, you know, if you can identify, uh, you know, something that you're passionate about, that it is worth, it's worth the risk of failure for you to pursue it, because if you feel strongly enough about it, even in the process of failure, there's going to be a benefit you will gain out of it, as well as those that uh, you have shared that experience with
0: love those examples both of those thank you so much for taking a risk and and sharing those with us and um, we do really appreciate your time today and we love the examples of designing the projects and how to build a community of learners helping teachers implement tech and share with authentic or in global audiences yes. so thank you Ken we um, really had fun talking to you.
1: you well thank you I appreciate you be having me on for sure it's been a pleasure
0: so if other want to reach out, how can they connect with you? Uh,
1: there's several ways. I do use social media. Um, so I'm on Twitter at K underscore Shelton. Um, I share a lot of my visual stories, especially those centered around travel on Instagram, uh, which I believe I'm K Shelton on that. And, um, you know, and then, of course, there's my website that um, I, I will say that, you know, speaking of failure, I, <laughs> I do have a blog on my website, which is Kenneth I've only posted a couple of things and I have like 48 drafts. And <laughs> I, I know I you know I just I need to just publish. That's just the bottom line. There's really no no rhyme or reason or excuse for me not having more uh, posted to share. And I do have a lot to share. I just I haven't been diligent about doing it. But you know, I I do have a reminder each week to make sure that I get something pushed out that, you know, again, going back to you and my own advice, if it benefits only one reader, then that's still that's still okay for me. So uh, I would say in those three areas, those are ways to get in touch. And then, you know, for your listeners, um, which is my favorite, as much as I'm a tech guy, as I shared with you all, uh, prior to us recording, I I, I I thrive on the interpersonal connections and the face to face interactions that we have It's just That's just me. I think that technology can bridge the time in between, but there's nothing better than being able to chat with, you know, a fellow educator in person, uh, you know, share an experience in a session or a workshop. Um, So I would say that ideally of your listeners, I will have an opportunity to uh, meet each and every one of them at some point at a conference, um, you know, in the near future to where we can actually talk in person. That's my favorite.
0: Okay. Well, we will add all of the links to our show page. And then when we see you, we will run and talk to you face to face.
1: Absolutely, And a big hug, of course. Oh, too.
0: okay. That too. Okay. That wraps it up for today's episode. And thanks again to our very special guest, Ken Shelton.